all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Thanks for tuning in today. You're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. And I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we're going to be talking about probably my favorite topic ever. It's what I get to do on a daily basis. We're going to be talking about lifestyle medicine. And the reason for that is last week was actually National Lifestyle Medicine Week, and we didn't get to have a show because it was a holiday. And I hope everybody enjoyed their holiday, but I'm going to take today to refresh our thoughts on what lifestyle medicine is, why it is so uh, crucially needed in today's healthcare system, and we're going to go through each kind of part of lifestyle medicine, and I'll give you my top recommendations in each one of those areas. So if you have a question or a comment for us about uh, lifestyle medicine or about things like nutrition and exercise and sleep and all the things we'll talk about today, please give us a call. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. And you can always email us fit at mpbonline.org. And today's a special day because I'm back in the studio. So this is my this is my first day back in the studio since uh, very early on in the uh, pandemic when we moved to uh, broadcasting by Skype for social distancing. And so it's it's great to be back in the studio and getting to see Kevin and hang out with with everybody here at MPB. So I'm grateful to be able to do that. So let's start with what is lifestyle medicine. It's often, um, we hear the word lifestyle a lot and we hear the word lifestyle modifications um, occasionally or lifestyle changes. And really lifestyle medicine is a whole branch of healthcare that is focused on those modifications and those changes and really focusing in on the root cause of disease. So we look at things like a whole food plant predominant diet, which if you listen to the show routinely, you know that we talk about plant-based diets a lot on the show. Regular physical activity, um, really good restorative sleep, and I'll talk a little bit more about what restorative sleep means. Uh, stress management, substance use, and then social connection and resiliency. Those are the the big parts of lifestyle medicine, and we use each one of those modalities to help prevent disease, treat disease, or reverse disease. And 
not every patient that comes to lifestyle medicine looks the same in terms of the types of um, medical issues that bring them in, nor the different strategies that we employ. That's the beauty of the approach of lifestyle medicine is it's very individualized, very patient led. Um, I call it patient led provider supported because my job is to recognize that the individual is an expert on themselves. They know what will work in their life. It's just my job to coach and support in the development of that plan and help kind of troubleshoot things that that come along the way. So some of the things that we see and treat in lifestyle medicine are we can kind of lump them together in a group called cardiometabolic disease. And so that's things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, maybe overweight and obesity, type 2 diabetes, pre-diabetes, those types of things. But that is certainly not um, the limit to what lifestyle medicine can be applied to. Um, I also do a whole lot with people with chronic pain and joint problems um, because there's a lot of things that we can do in working on your lifestyle to help with pain, to help with joint mobility and joint um, joint function, and also getting you ready for surgery if you need to have um, have a joint replaced or something like that. Um, and then I also work with a lot of folks um, that just want to kind of stay well and prevent different um, disease processes. Maybe they have a really strong family history of uh, heart attacks and strokes, those kinds of things. So we really dig into lifestyle and look at, at what is going on. And a lot of people come in and they expect me to tell them what to eat. And that's, again, not the not the kind of the bread and butter, so to speak, of lifestyle medicine. It's not about perfection. It is about progress and just being able to make small changes along the way to um, help improve your overall um, kind of lifespan and function. Now, I get asked a lot, um, why lifestyle medicine? Like, why is that what I do? And why is that something that hopefully you're starting to see kind of creep up a little bit more and hear more people talk about it? And when we look at the healthcare system, right, that we spend a lot of money on healthcare in this country. Um, and a, the majority of that is linked to kind of chronic disease treatment uh, and management. And when we get down to the root of what drives chronic disease, so what's causing these diseases and what's accounting for um, the number of visits that we have to make to a healthcare provider, hospitalizations, and just the cost associated with those conditions, whether that be medications or surgeries, those types of things, they can, about 80% of those things can be linked back to some type of lifestyle factor as a contributing factor to that. Now, it doesn't mean that just fixing that one particular thing is a magic bullet and you're just not going to have whatever um, disease that you may have had before. But when we look at the totality of different risks that are in there, there are certainly um, areas that we can work on to either drastically improve um, whatever medical problem that you have or kind of put it in put it into remission so to speak and when we look at what's driving those things it's largely poor diet and I'll talk a little bit more about what I mean when I say poor diet Um, being physically inactive smoking 
uh, not going to uh, your health care provider for your regular screenings, like going to the dentist, going to the eye doctor, um, going for, you know, if you're female, getting your you know, pap smears and your mammograms, those types of things, um, getting colonoscopies, prostate checks, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, poor stress management, uh, insufficient sleep, and then excessive alcohol consumption. Those are kind of, there are people much smarter than me that have kind of drilled down to finding root causes of what is driving a lot of these medical problems that we have uh, in the U.S. And those are the kind of common features that we see underlying the majority of those. And that just so happens to be what we focus on in lifestyle medicine. And what I consider myself so lucky to be able to do is just focus on that. Um, So I did primary care for many, many, many years. uh, And now I get to focus on just the lifestyle piece. And I partner with the primary care providers so that you get the full attention of your primary care provider when they're seeing you for your medical issues. And then you get to see someone like myself or my partner um, or some of our residents to focus just in on the lifestyle piece there. Another reason that it's so important that we focus on lifestyle is that about um, 6 in 10, so 60% of Americans have at least one chronic disease, and 40% have two or more. So chronic diseases and chronic illnesses are not... um, not inexpensive to care for um, from your own pocketbook. Uh, And we can help either improve those overall conditions or, like I said before, start to reverse or put some of those things in to remission. We've talked on the show so much about cardiovascular disease or heart disease and that that is still the number one killer of men and women um, in the U.S. and half of all Americans have some type of cardiovascular disease. So beginning to think about that and beginning to think about your individual risks that you may have for things like heart disease and other cardiometabolic diseases is really important no matter what your age is. Um, So what we're going to do over the next uh, couple of segments in the show is we're going to go back to those kind of parts of lifestyle medicine that I talked about at the beginning, the things like the nutrition and the exercise and the sleep. And we're going to kind of break down why those are important, and then also my top recommendations in each one of those areas if you're looking for ways to improve in that area or to make a change in that area. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we're highlighting my favorite part of healthcare, which is lifestyle medicine. And if you have a question or a comment about how lifestyle changes have improved your health or questions about how you might could start to incorporate some of these things into your daily lifestyle, I'd love to hear from you today. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring And over the break, uh, Kevin and I were talking and he kind of said, you know, it seems like a lot of what you do in lifestyle is for you know disorders that have been around for a long time, and are we just kind of just now getting around to to putting these things into place? And you know the answer to that is is no, not really. Uh, when you look at uh, treatment guidelines, so all of us in in healthcare are held to what's called standard of care, meaning if you go see me for a sinus infection and you go see somebody else for a sinus infection, you should get comparable care, right? We're going to ask you the same kinds of questions. We're going to do the same kind of physical exam and prescribe if indicated, uh, you know, similar types of medications might not be the exact same one, but comparable. Um, Same deal when you have diabetes and you go and they, you know, they check your feet, they tell you you need to see the dentist, you get a dilated eye exam, all those kinds of things. Those are all standard of care. And the first step in all of the treatment kind of pathways for things like high blood pressure, things like diabetes and high cholesterol, the first step is always lifestyle change or lifestyle modification. And so we're doing it. um, But what makes lifestyle medicine a little bit different as a specialty is instead of just uh, kind of recommending things, we really get down into the nitty gritty of why we do or don't do things because it's usually not just that people don't want to eat healthier or to um, exercise there's usually some kind of barrier in there so a lot of what I, a lot of what I do and other people who do lifestyle medicine is kind of getting to the root of what's keeping you from making a change maybe that you want to make and troubleshooting that and helping you build a plan that you're much more confident in being able um, being able to do. Um, I tell a story a lot about a, a lady that I was working with who very much wanted to be um, wanted to exercise. Um, I usually ask people two questions. I'll say, you know, how um, important is it to you to make a change in this particular area? And then how confident are you in being able to make that change? And that often tells me if there's a barrier there, if they feel like it's important, but they're not that confident. And she told me, you know, I'm not that confident because I don't have good shoes to exercise in. And so just kind of talking to her about the importance of exercise wasn't going to change her behavior. She knew it was important. She wanted to do it. But we had to kind of brainstorm ways to get her some assistance to get her some better shoes so that she was able to be physically active. So that's a little that's why it's a little bit different. And I think we do have a caller on the line. Not quite ready yet. We'll we'll loop back in there. I'm still dusting off the the rust from not being in the studio. Uh, so um, again, you know, we have to go beyond just recommending things for folks, but also um, helping people feel confident in building a plan to be able to address um, whatever the issue is in life. You know, I was talking to Kevin over the break about an example. Um, you know, most people know that fried foods are not the healthiest 
choice to make, but there may be a lot of barriers that keep people from kind of ditching that, right? If that's the only way they've been taught to cook, they may not know how to prep it other ways, or they may not have the uh, equipment that they need, right? Um, they may be using a, an electric skillet or something like that that they fry in routinely and don't have an oven. So telling people to, to bake or broil their food if they don't have an oven is not going to get us to where we need to be, right? Or if their whole family is not kind of gung-ho about making the change, then that's going to make it much, much harder for them to be successful kind of long-term. All right, we're ready now to go to Alabama and say good morning to Chris. How can I help you? Yeah, uh, Dr. Bidwell, uh, I was just talking to, to the screener there a minute. I, my health situation, I'm 69 years old, uh, and I weighed like about 100. I would weigh, I think, maybe a little bit. I weigh like 100. 90, 189, something like that. I'm six foot one. But about two and a half, three years ago, I quit eating red meat mm-hmm. and fried foods, and I lost weight. I have not been on a diet. I, I tell my people around me, don't ever say that word again. <laughs> Diets just don't work. But I feel so much better, and uh, you know, red meat is linked to colon cancer, too. So yes. People times a week have a 50% higher chance. Anyway, I just uh, tell folks, you know, watch watch the red meat because and the fried foods because because that's that's really you know a, a bad news. But I love your show and I listen to MPB all the time. Well, we thank you so much for listening, not only to my show but to all of the shows on MPB. We appreciate your support. Thank, thank you very much. You're welcome. And you know, he brought up an excellent point. Um, you know, there are diets so to speak and you can't see me but I'm air quoting the word diet Um, and that really encompasses a whole culture and the way of thinking about food and you'll often hear me talk about the relationship that you have with food and a lot of us have pretty crummy relationships with food where we um, you know think about ourselves in terms of of our worth depending on what we eat Right. So many people come in to see me and I'll say, you know, tell me, tell me what's been going on since the last time we talked. And they'll say, well, I was bad. And that's kind of like one of he said, you don't use the word diet around him like you don't use the word bad around me when it comes to yourself, Um, because the foods that you choose to eat uh, are not linked to your value as a human being. Uh, And it gets you in that negative cycle of thinking about, well, I was bad this time, so I might as well be bad bad at the next meal and the next day and all these different types of things. And that's what kind of diet culture has set us up for. Um, Also, when we are on a diet, that implies at some point we're going to be off that diet, right? And so most of the kind of commercial diets that you see out there are what I often term fad diets. They work, right? I mean, they do. You will lose weight on on most of them, um, but it's not sustainable. Now, there's always going to be, you know, a handful of folks that find success with that, and I'm glad they found something they can stick to for a lifetime. But most folks kind of yo-yo from diet to diet and will have success, but but gain the weight back or even gain a little bit more and move on to another diet. And usually what kind of underscores them all is restriction, and putting foods into good or bad classes of foods. Um, And we're just not built for restriction. Um, Usually, if you tell 
a human, they can't have something, that is then what they want. And they're like, well, yes, I can because I'm an adult and you don't live with me. And that, you know, it's true. I don't. And so, you know, I never put a food as as off limits. Um, uh, Kevin had um, welcome back cookies for me today and you better believe I ate them and that's okay. Um, And I would not consider that bad. Um, I had cookies that I will remember. Right. Because it was a special event back in this building for the first time in in two and a half years. And um, I won't let it color what I eat the rest of the day. Right. But it takes a lot of work to kind of get to that point where that's how you think and approach food, because that's not the messaging that we um, have heard most of our lives. You know, we've heard cookies are bad. Apples are good. And they're both fine. It's just about how you how frequently you eat them, what you eat them in conjunction with, and really your feelings around eating those different types of things. Um, so our caller mentioned um, red meat, and it's linked to colon cancer. Absolutely, there's been um, a, a fair amount of evidence linking uh, red meat consumption to increased risks of colon cancer. Um, I would walk it back a little bit further and say processed meats, um, even more um, kind of red flags around processed meats. So your bacons, you know, pepperonis, salamis, um, even some of your deli meats and, and those types of things are linked to increased risk of colon cancer. Not only are they super salty, and that can, you know, increase your blood pressure, which then increases um, your heart disease risk and all those different types of things there. So that's certainly a strategy that you can uh, can work on and one that I recommend working on. But the first, my first recommendation when it comes to nutrition is a self-assessment of what you currently eat, right? Most of us tend to not, quite realize the amount of calories and processed things we take in on a daily basis until we stop and reflect on it. Um, I usually ask a couple of screening questions with patients and I have them kind of circle how many servings of fruit they get in a day, how many servings of vegetables they get in a day. And most of the time, people are going to circle two or more on both of those things. And then the next thing I ask for is a 24-hour recall. So what did you have in the last 24 hours? And most of the time, there is not a fruit on that recall, right? Or a vegetable, okay? And definitely not both of them at the same time, the, the majority of the time. And so it's not that you were lying to me on the other. It's just... If you think, well, I like fruit. So, yeah, I eat fruit every day. Or I like vegetables. I eat those every day. So we tend to kind of over over report our consumption of some of those kinds of things. And so I'm definitely not one of those people that thinks you have to log every single thing you eat and drink for the rest of your life. Although some people find that a helpful tool. I do usually have my patients do that for three to seven days just so they can get kind of that aha moment of, oh, gosh. That is, I'm I'm drinking a lot of my calories, or I didn't realize I ate as many pieces of candy from the candy dish as I was eating. And it's just kind of one of those things. So that's kind of my my top recommendation is just to kind of step back and be real honest with yourself about what it is you're consuming, because then you can decide what you want to work on. It may be red meat. Like if you look at that week and you're eating red meat five to six days of that week, Yeah, we need to pull back on that if our heart health and our gut health is important to us or something that we want to work on right now. 
if you're trying to get really good control of your blood pressure and you see that you're drinking, you know, two sodas a day every day, then that may be the area that we want to attack. But it starts with that self-assessment of what is going on to help you build and, and write a plan to address whatever it is. And you can't go wrong, right? Any change is better than no change, right? That's why I always say it's not about perfection. Any change is better. And then I usually also say, if nothing changes, nothing changes, right? So if we make no changes, we shouldn't expect our health to get any better. It, in fact, will likely just continue to get worse as we age. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC. And today we're talking about lifestyle medicine and how we can incorporate some lifestyle changes into our daily life to help with uh, disease treatment and prevention. If you've got a question or a comment for us, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring And we do have a caller on the line, so we'll go to Mobile, Alabama, and say good morning to Kent. Good morning. Um, I like the things that you're saying about behavior change and habit change. Um, I have one more tip that might be helpful, and that has to do with identity, with self-identity. For example, if I'm a smoker and I want to quit smoking, when I think, well, I'm going to quit, basically what I'm doing is saying I'm going to deprive myself of something that's been giving me pleasure, Mm -hmm. been giving me satisfaction, helping me relax, or whatever. I'm going to have all kinds of reasons why I don't want to quit. On the other hand, if I begin to identify myself as a non-smoker, if I say, okay, I'm a non-smoker, I don't have to smoke, then when that urge occurs, I can say, oh, well, that's just my body. As a non-smoker, I don't have to smoke. And that can be applied to, to lots of different kinds of habit change. It's, it's how I identify myself and in relation to whatever it is I'm trying to change. So that's my tip. I love it. And it it gets right to the heart of things. And the way that we think influences the way that we behave and the way that we kind of our internal self 
talks to ourselves. And so we, we try and ditch some of those negative thinking techniques. And just like you're, you're talking about here, the way you think about yourself drives some of your behavior and your choices. So I really appreciate that call. It was really, I hope, I hope folks really kind of take that in and, and let that marinate a little bit. That's a really, really good one. And it gets back to a lot of what we do um, in working on people's why and their purpose for, for wanting to change, right? You know, if you're, if you identify as a smoker and you really, really enjoy smoking and all of your friends are smokers, what's the why, right? Like, why are you wanting to change? <clears throat> And that's really important in changing that self-talk and the way that that you think about yourself. Um, you know, that's a it's just I'm just love it. I'm stealing it. So thank you. <laughs> All right. So uh, I gave you my number one tip on uh, nutrition, which is that self-assessment piece and being really honest with yourself about about where you are. Um, and then my next one is eat as real of a food as you can get. Right. And that sounds funny, but it kind of thinks back to that processed conversation we were having before the break. That doesn't mean that I eat zero processed foods. Right. Um, But I try and make the make choices that are the least messed with as I can. Right. That being said, um, Cheetos. Okay. Cheetos are delicious. Okay, Cheetos are made from corn, I believe, right? But they look nothing like corn, right? So the majority of the time, I would choose my carbohydrate in that whole food source, you know, some type of, you know, corn on the cob um, or, you know, corn niblets, cream corn, something like that. And then a little bit more processed would be like cornbread, right? Because you've taken the corn and you've milled it. And then your ultra processed is going to be your things like your your Cheetos, right? And so it's not never Cheetos, but it's the majority of the time the least messed with as we can get. And then okay on some of the kind of middle of the range processed and then very rarely on the other. Um, So I always say eat real food, mostly plants. Those are kind of my two statements for folks. And so you know that we talk about a plant predominant uh, way of eating on this show. And that, again, doesn't mean no meat. It just means the focus is not on the meat. Um, The focus is on the plant. And so that is my second kind of tip well early my third my third tip for nutrition is focus on the plants and making at least half of your plate some kind of plant food Um, so that can be greens it can be corn it can be um, fruit it can be um, string beans asparagus tomatoes all of the bounty that is coming from our gardens right now Um, but making sure that you start that plate when you're building your meal with half of it being veggies, which is often not the way I see plates built. I see a big old chunk of meat, right? takes up about half a plate. Um, and then the other half of the plate is a big old bunch of starch, um, usually potatoes or pasta. Again, potatoes and pasta are not bad, right? We just need a little smaller, a bit smaller portions of those. And then like this little teeny tiny little scoop of green beans on the side of that plate. And then when I tell people that they need to to kind of eat more veggies, 
they still have that really small portion of vegetables in their mind when they build a plate and they think I'm going to be hungry if all I eat is that little bit of green beans. And that, as I'm telling you, that's not what I want you to eat. I want you to eat a whole bunch of green beans, right? And a little bit smaller piece of meat and a smaller amount of potatoes. It's just about shifting the proportions so that you fill up because I don't want you to be hungry. Okay, Being hungry is a drag and nobody likes to do that. So I want you to fill up, but I want you to fill up on things that have more fiber in them and less fat and saturated fat so that's kind of that's those are my tips on nutrition now for physical activity um i'm not going to say my number one again because again it's self-assessment well i guess i did say it but that can be kind of assumed in each one of these things we want to know where we are um with ourselves um and so how much you're walking or do you get up during the day or do you spend the majority of the time at a desk those types of things But my two kind of actionable steps, one is stand up, right? So if you are a desk worker or, um, you know, you're kind of tied to a specific area at your job for 8 to 12 hours uh, a day, stand up. Um, You know, if you've got an Apple Watch, it will ding at you uh, to stand up. I'm not sure I bet Fitbit does that too, but... Um, set an alarm on your phone or, you know, maybe after you get off a phone call, you stand up or you stand up while you're on that phone call. But being sedentary and not standing is a, a, a risk factor for heart disease as well. So outside of the just not being physically active, the act of sitting increases your risk for heart disease so stand up and move around for 30 seconds to a minute doesn't have you don't have to do jumping jacks okay you don't have to have people looking at you weird as they walk by your office right but just stand up kind of move your legs around stretch take some nice deep breaths all of those things are are good and energizing my next kind of tip or recommendation that i make with folks is to do some kind of movement okay it does not have to look like formal exercise. You do not have to put on, um, you know, athleisure wear and, you know, get it to a target heart rate or any of these kinds of things. Those are great. And I, I love it when people are doing those things. But we are so inactive as a society that it is becoming a large public health problem. And so any type of movement, any, whether that is go into your mailbox and come in back. If that's something that you normally send your kids out to get the mail, you go out and get it, right? It may be um, walking around your house a couple times. Uh, It may be choosing to take a flight of stairs instead of uh, not. And it may be parking farther away at the grocery store and walking in. But any movement um, counts and any movement is good for our heart um, and good for our mental health as well bonus points if you do it outside because then you get um, that sun exposure which is good for kind of telling your internal clock what time of the day it is so it helps you fall asleep easier um, later on at night so don't sit as much stand up and do some type of of movement and you may think this is not enough to count it is it counts okay so get up 
and move however you want to move. We had a sweet caller who called us um, a couple months back who said she dances to the theme song to this show. She wiggles um, when we go on commercial break. And that just, I think about it every time the music comes on. And you're going to ask Kevin, I was wiggling in here on the last break. So I take it seriously um, with that. And I'm probably going to get up on this next commercial break and do my wiggles. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. What is Chalkboard Chat? It's an MPB education podcast. It's a variety show providing information and resources for teachers, students, parents, guardians, and everyday people on various topics. It's learning something new with every publication. Chalkboard Chat. Find the podcast or listen from chalkboardchat.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for joining us here on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC, and we're talking about my favorite thing in all the world, lifestyle med- Well, my kids are my favorite thing in all the world. They're going to listen to this one day and be offended, so I felt like I needed to amend that. But next is lifestyle medicine, and we've been talking about some of my favorite kind of tips and tricks to um, incorporate more lifestyle strategies and more behavior change into what you're doing, because if nothing changes, nothing changes. And we've had some... Um, great callers we've had some great tips on uh, cutting back on things like red meat and you know different different strategies for that and next we're going to talk about stress stress is really really important but before i dive into that i think kevin has something for me i just wanted to verify for all the listeners that josie in fact did get up out of her chair and (laughs) danced the entire time that that music was playing and we went to break a little bit early. We, there's a set amount of music. We normally don't get that much, but much props to Josie. Yeah, it was long. The, the whole time. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, that that's my bad. But anyway, uh, it was great. So I got, got a little movement there. And actually, I'd feel better. You know, I mean, when you sit in a chair, you automatically kind of start to tense up certain muscles or you hold your head a certain way to make sure that your voice is in the microphone good. You know, all those different types of things. And that can can wear on you a little bit. And so just getting up, it was not cute dancing. So you did not miss anything by by not seeing it. Um, but it made me giggle and gave me a little extra burst of energy for this last segment of the show. Um, and it's good for stress, too, which is the next thing we're talking about is kind of laughing at yourself, right? You know, I take my job very seriously um, as a healthcare provider. I think it is one of the greatest privileges in the whole wide world that I have uh, to meet people that I wouldn't get to meet otherwise and to be kind of invited into their lives, learn a little bit about um, about them, about their families, and to help them kind of 
change their health if that's something that they want to do. And so I take that very seriously, but I, I like to laugh at myself um, because it does um, it does just make me a happier person when I'm able to giggle at some of my silliness. And that was definitely a silly little dance that I did in here. Um, but stress management is one of those things, you know, we tend to just assume that everybody is stressed and everybody is stressed. You know, these are very, very stressful times. And so there's always going to be a certain kind of underlying level of stress. But there is stress that moves us forward and stress that can kind of paralyze us and keep us from um, achieving the things that we want to do. So it's when that stress starts to monopolize the way that we think and the way that we act that there's a problem. You know, if you are a student and you get a paper due, you're stressed to get that paper due. And that's kind of good stress to a certain extent. It makes you do a good job and, and do it on time. But if you're stressed about everything... Or if one particular stress monopolizes what you do, then that's maladaptive stress. And it's not not helping us and it's actually hindering us from a variety of different reasons. It can keep our stress hormones higher, which can make us hungrier. That's why you'll hear people say they're stress eaters. Um, I'm the exact opposite. When I get stressed, I, I have no appetite. So, And that's not healthy either, right? We want to find better ways of dealing with and coping with our stress. And so my number one is get help, right? We don't talk about it a lot, right? And oftentimes we don't disclose it to our healthcare providers. But if your stress or your anxiety or your depression, you're feeling down, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling hopeless, you feel like you can't stop or control worry, those are important. And your healthcare provider needs to know because it doesn't have to be that way, right? We can help you um, through a combination of medicines can help, right? And just because I do lifestyle medicine doesn't mean I don't also use medications. They are appropriate and great to use in certain situations. We can do counseling and therapy, again, changing the way we think about things and the way we respond to things. Um, so don't be afraid to tell your healthcare provider if you're dealing with something, okay? The next is practice deep breathing, right? It really is so beneficial for dealing with stress. And I say the word practice it, right? Because when you are in the middle of a full-blown anxiety attack or you know, mounting stress, if you're not comfortable with the correct way to do deep breathing, learning it in the middle of a crisis is not as effective as if you had learned it beforehand and you were able to kind of bring it out of your toolkit and practice it, right? So I usually have my patients, I write a prescription for it that says abdominal deep breathing times five minutes twice a day, right? Just like what we would do with the medicine if I said, you know, penicillin twice a day for two weeks, right? And when I say do it correctly, it's really engaging your diaphragm, that muscle that you can't see, right, but that separates your lungs from your belly, right? And that is the relaxing breath. That's the one we want to be focusing on, which most folks, if I tell you to take a nice deep breath, you're going to expand your chest, right? And that's an energizing breath. So in the two o'clock, three o'clock slump in the afternoon when you're feeling sleepy and you would normally reach for a candy bar, try that kind of breath there instead. That's an energizing breath. But if we're talking about stress, we want to do that belly breath. And so I usually have people recline a little bit, put one hand on their chest and one hand on their belly and ask them to take a deep breath. 
if the chest hand rises higher than the belly hand, then you're still breathing from your chest. And you really got to focus in and think about making your hand on your belly rise instead. Um, Some other techniques that I've used with folks that can be helpful when you're still struggling with that is put a little lightweight object on your belly, like a little... um, a little rock or even a folded up piece of paper or something like that and breathe until you get that to fall off of your belly right and you got to practice that so that when you're having these stressful times and you're feeling overwhelmed you can immediately switch into that type of breathing and have some relaxation from that the other is to use some form of distraction or mindfulness right Um, most folks if I tell you to relax you would you'd say I'm, I am relaxed, and I say no, no. Let your muscles go completely limp, and you can usually relax a little bit more. We carry a lot of tension around in our body, and so mindfulness and the techniques of mindfulness help you focus in on how you're feeling, like how tense your muscles are feeling, and walk you through some different exercises to help you relax through some of those things. And it seems kind of weird to talk about and the first time you do it you feel kind of weird too but over time again you build up kind of this set of tools that you can use when you're feeling tensed and stressed and out of control all right in the last couple of minutes of the show I want to make sure we talk about sleep because other than food it is my favorite um, modality for lifestyle change and with sleep you need seven to nine hours, okay? When we look at folks who sleep less than that, they have, and more than that, okay? So too little and too much. They do have increased risk for things like heart attacks and strokes, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, and it can make it harder to lose weight if that's something that is important to you. So making sure you're getting that is a really important first step. So ask yourself, what time do I get in the bed? What time do I fall asleep? Like how long? should take about 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes to fall asleep. If it's taking you longer than that, we need to look at what's causing that, right? Are we watching TV, using our cell phone, all of those different kinds of things? What time do you get up in the morning? How rested do you feel? Do you snore? Those are the questions that you should be asking yourself, right? And my number one tip is cut that TV off. Um, TV, not only from a noise standpoint, but from the light coming out of the TV, that light is impairing the release of melatonin from your brain that helps you fall asleep, stay asleep. So we want to limit that light exposure as much as we can. So 30 to 60 minutes, I like closer to 60 minutes before you want to be asleep, not before you get in the bed, but before you want to be asleep the TV or other type of screen device, cell phone, laptop, e-reader, whatever, needs to go off so that your brain can get the clue that it is nighttime and start to ease into those different kinds of things. The second is if you snore, talk to your healthcare provider about that snoring. Snoring is not normal. Okay. Snoring indicates that there is some kind of turbulence in your airway so that air is not getting in as well as we would like for it to. Now, not all snoring is obstructive sleep apnea, but it is indicating some kind of turbulence in that airway. and It needs to be looked at, right, because we can treat those things. If it is sleep apnea, 
we want to treat that with a CPAP machine so that we can hold that airway open because untreated sleep apnea drives high blood pressure, drives high blood sugar. It drives um, cravings for um, foods that are not as helpful for us in our weight loss journey. Um, and it, it really does impact all the areas of your, your heart health. So it's very, very important. If it's not obstructive sleep apnea, there are some other things we can do. My favorite is a wedge pillow. looks like a wedge of cheese. And the skinny end goes underneath kind of the lower parts of your back and shoulders to elevate the head of your bed a little bit. Takes some of the gravitational pressure off of your airway and helps with that snoring. So your significant other, if you have one, will probably appreciate that. Um, You can get those you know any store walmart has them you can order them from amazon they're relatively inexpensive um, to give that a try those usually only work for your back and your side sleepers Um, if you're a tornado or a belly sleeper and when i say tornado i mean you just like roll into multiple positions in the bed then i usually recommend bed risers which are just little blocks that go underneath the feet of the head of the bed to elevate the whole top of the bed to take some of that pressure off of your airway there Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor, from fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.